Hey, good morning. Had you had known, you would have stayed home, right? Ha ha! Suckers! <clears throat> Lock the doors. No, uh, I'm just thrilled you're here. I really am. It's a uh, it's a honor and a privilege to be able to share the word of God with you this morning. Uh, especially to be able to give Mark a little bit of a breather. Uh, he has definitely had some struggles with colds and things. He, like a trooper, plowed through our last few uh, sermons uh, last week and uh, survived the, the sickness of the holidays. I know a lot of us have probably been up and down in the weather. Uh, certainly when you have an orphanage in your home like we do, uh, it's very easy for that to go back and forth, back and forth. And uh, so if our cologne is like Lysol this morning, you understand why. Uh, but no, it, it really is just a, a blessing to, to wrap up 2019 with you and to uh, speak again on this concept of Advent. And this morning, it's going to be a little bit different. I'm speaking on uh, Second Advent, and, uh, but maybe not typically the way we normally would. So uh, I want to start with prayer. I, I don't do that a lot of times because you know, the band does that and everything else. But um, I really want the Holy Spirit to work this morning. That's my desire. Um, and plus, there's only one service, so Mark said I can preach till normal time, 1230. Just kidding. See, I need to confess already. I lied. Uh, but no, I, I do want to start with prayer, and I do want uh, us to experience God this morning. So would you join me in that? Can we, can we just join our hearts in prayer? Father, again, and I say again because we've talked to you multiple times this morning, but again... It is a privilege to come to you in this moment, to just take a moment in the midst of family and feasting and fun and everything that's been going on over the last few days, to take a moment and enter hopefully and prayerfully fully into your presence right now for the purpose of interacting with you. God, I, I would ask that today, for the sake of your name and for your glory, would not just be another sermon, would not just be another Sunday, would not just be the end of a series or a year, but that in this moment, in these next few moments, you would have the absolute freedom to work however you want to work. Help us to still our hearts, our minds. I pray that you would keep the enemy at bay as he is going to try to distract us and get us thinking about our schedules for the day and for the week and what we like and don't like and everything else that goes on that the enemy tries to use against us. Keep him at bay by the power of Jesus Christ's name. Do not, I plead, do not let the enemy rob someone of what the Holy Spirit desires to accomplish today. May we all, myself included, just be humbly surrendered to you to hear from you in this space. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I'm not 100% sure what all you're going to get this morning because I have my notes and I'm going to stick to my notes as best I can. But as I told the band beforehand, like I... Just in my prep time, as is often the case, I know Mark and Matt and Nathan and all of us, when we, we preach, it is amazing how often God will just continually download 
and download and download, and then it's like, well, do I preach that or do I preach this? And where do I go and where do I don't go? And, and in that, we trust the Holy Spirit. And so there might be some things that are out of your notes. Uh, I love, as you guys know, giving bonus material. Uh, so I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit is good in that. Now, as we start, who can, and you can just shout out, it's, it's okay, we're family here. Who can tell me, uh, and it's been like four or five weeks since I preached, but when we introed Advent, when I kicked that off in, in the beginning of the month for us, I gave you a very simple definition for Advent. Who can tell me what Advent simply means? Go ahead, shout out. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Failure. <laughs> so apparently, uh, I'm not a very effective communicator. <laughs> All right, let's try this again. Advent, simply, I'm just going to preach from one through five. So I'm going to try and remember your sermons, Mark, and we'll cover it all again. Uh, Advent simply means to come into. To come into. And that's, that's what we talk about when we talk about the Christmas season, the holiday season, when we, we pause in this moment. Uh, it's specifically designed around that time. We don't talk about Advent at resurrection because Jesus didn't come into anything at that point in time. We talk about Advent because he came into the world. He came into the world. And so we typically, as long as I've been coming at Hope now for five, six years, uh, and maybe you guys did it before this as well. Mark will know the answer to this. But we have typically always concluded uh, the Advent season by preaching on second Advent, uh, which is absolutely important because if there's just first Advent and then we die, uh, that's kind of like a downer, right? So second Advent is him coming again into our space, into this planet that he created. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. But my approach is going to be a little bit different. I'm not going to get into eschatology and end times and what to expect and the, and the judgment day and the, the last day when Christ appears again. We might, you know, refer to that briefly, but I really my, my heart's intent is not to teach us on that. I really, more than anything else, desire for us to maybe wake up a little bit this morning, to become a little bit more fully aware of the preciousness of time to maybe have the scales peeled back from our eyelids a little bit and to uh, peek through the crack and the slits and the curtain to see a little bit more of the reality of our life now and what is to come, if that makes sense. Um, I, I was thinking visually, it kind of reminds me of um, all the times I've ever stayed in a hotel room. I don't know if you've ever had that privilege, but... There are those curtains that weigh 5,000 pounds, and yet they cannot keep out the light. No matter what you do, you can prop chairs against them, duct tape them, uh, take some from another room, drape them. It doesn't matter what you do. It seems there's always that little slit in the curtain that inevitably where the big truck pulls in and parks in your room. And no matter how high you turn the air condition up and how many pillows you put over your face, that light still kind of gets in and annoys you, right? I'm praying that's what happens to us, that no matter how much our hearts resist uh, another sermon and no matter how much we might have barriers that are keeping us from uh, just experience, I, I pray that God would just forcefully throw back those curtains this morning and that we could experience him. I'm going to start us off in a passage. Mark has actually used this passage several times, uh, teaching us and preaching to us. And I don't know why, but uh, when I was asked if I could take this Sunday 
my thoughts almost instantly went to Ecclesiastes 3. And so God must be using that in our lives somehow, because uh, I haven't gotten together with Mark and said, how shall I use this passage? Are you going to use this? Like, we don't do that kind of thing. And uh, I just appreciate the freedom Mark gives us when, when we as other pastors here get to preach. And so God took my thoughts to Ecclesiastes 3. And specifically, I want to get into verse 11. I'm really not going to do that till towards the end. But I want to start just reading a very familiar narrative. We've read it before as a church. I'm going to read it for you again. And my prayer is that God would just open our our hearts again to hear this because my heart plea for us is that this year would be different. That 2020 would be different, not just because of changes and things we've talked about and prayed about even through the, the Christmas season. But how amazing would it be if in 2020... This was the year the father said to the son, it's time. (laughs) Let that sink in for a moment, okay? How wonderfully amazing would it be if in 2020, father says, hey, Jesus, saddle up and go. Can you visualize that for a moment? Jesus standing victoriously from his throne. Saints and angels gathering behind him. As he mounts his beautiful, elegant white horse with all the glory and majesty that could possibly be comprehended by our finite minds. And he, he gets on that horse and the throng behind him as he prepares to enter this space to say, it is done. It's time. That, that, yeah, come on. That for me is overwhelming. I mean, we would do good to just stop this moment and just spend the next hour meditating on that. This could be that year. And so as such, I think it's so important. It's so important that we understand time. And so we're going to start Ecclesiastes chapter 3. The text will be on the screen. If you uh, don't have a Bible, I would ask for you to follow along uh, so you can weigh my words against Scripture uh, and, and even hold me accountable in that sense. But let's not neglect interacting with the Word of God just because it's, it's convenient. So Ecclesiastes 3, familiar passage. Uh, I thought about asking the band maybe to do a little mamas and papas for us this morning. Uh, some of us would enjoy that. I know Gree and I would enjoy that tremendously. But uh, we, will, we will just jump into the text. So this is what Solomon, David's son, the king of Israel, writes. <clears throat> Verse number one. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. There is a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace And a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and 
A time to sow. My mother especially would love that verse. A time to keep silence. And a time to speak. And a time to love. And a time to hate. A time for war. And a time for peace. Then verse 9, he says, So what gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, and that's what I want to get to ultimately in the sermon this morning. Yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So the first thing I want to start with is just this idea of us getting to a place to where we take full advantage of the time that God has given us. I love that Solomon starts out this section by kind of giving us this very wide, wide perspective that there is a season for anything and everything in life, that life is made up of different time periods and different things that we go through. That there are are seasons of life that we experience and he doesn't specify how long these seasons will exist and we can testify to that. Certainly we've had some seasons in some areas that have lasted for what seems like an eternity and then we've had other seasons that have been just for a, a brief moment. Uh, my daughter, for me, Lizzie, is a perfect example of that. When she left to go to boot camp in the Navy this past summer, between now and or then and now and in December, it felt like a forever season. Six months of not seeing her, of of just worrying over her and praying over her and missing her and not having anybody to watch Fail Army with and go Goodwill shopping with. And just my heart longed for that. And now she's home and she's been home for what felt like originally was going to be a very long time, and in just three days she's going to be leaving me again, and hopefully Jesus will come back in the next three days. That won't be an issue, but the season has quickly come and gone, and she'll enter into a new season, and I'll enter into a new season, and and that's how life is for us. We have various seasons of things that we go through, and there's a time for that. There's a time that we'll have a season of grief, I think of all the people I've been able to minister to and that I've known over the years that have lost someone tragically and to watch their grief. And for some people, that season of grief can last for decades. And for others, it can be much briefer and it can be months and it can be a sweet homecoming and uh, just a, a different season of grief for them. I think of seasons of celebration, of seasons of transformation, seasons of uh, just all types of growth in our lives and, and seasons of struggle. And so when we read this passage from Solomon, I think we can identify with that, right? We can understand of, yeah, okay, I get it, there are seasons. But what happens in the middle of these ups and downs that we experience of war and peace and love and hate and tearing and sowing and working and playing and all this other stuff is we can get so busy in that season of trying to either survive or enjoy it, that we lose sight of the fact that it is just for a brief moment of time in comparison to eternity. And how we use our time in these seasons of life that we go through is absolutely essential to the kingdom of heaven. 
I like how Paul would state it in Ephesians 5.16. He says, look carefully then how you walk. In other words, pay attention. Don't just live life. Don't get up, hit your alarm, and go through your morning routine and get dressed, eat breakfast, drink your coffee, get out the door, go to work, go to gym, go to play. Don't just live life. Pay careful attention then how you walk, how you live. You should be having intentionality in the way that you live your life. There shouldn't be anything that is routine about it. Every moment we should be, am I entering into this space appropriately? How am I using my time to work out, to wake up my kids, to to make breakfast, to interact with my spouse before I leave? How am I using my time on the job, at the gym? What am I doing there with my time? Be careful then how you walk, he says, not as unwise, but as wise. In other words, Paul says, live with intentionality and don't be stupid. That's what he's saying. You may not like those words, but he's saying, don't be unwise. No, don't be an idiot. Don't get up and just like, well, I don't know, I'm just kind of existing, you know, it's just another day. That's the foolish way of living life. If you do not live with intentionality, you are living a foolish lifestyle. He says, do not be unwise, but rather live as wise. Number Verse 16, making the best use of the time. Take full advantage of the time God has given you. Why? Because the days are evil. And that's important because Scripture teaches us that as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of evil men, when evil reigned and ruled in this world, when it's like that again on this planet is when Christ is preparing to come back to earth. We know that from Scripture. So if Christ is on the verge, what Paul is teaching us is, hey, you better live with intentionality because you don't have much time left. It's absolutely important. It's so easy to get caught up, right? And live with this mindset of, I'm going to get to that. I am a prime example of that. If you come to my house, you will see projects in various stages. Why? Because I'm going to get to that. And inevitably, a kid or something else gets in the way and I don't get to that. Or quite honestly, I'm lazy and I don't want to get to that. I went a whole year. I painted all the shutters on the outside of our house. They were this faded, green, foresty, ugly color. So I took them down. I'm like, I'm going to make those pop. I painted our front door bright red and I started painting all of our, or not shingles, our shutters. I started painting all of our shutters uh, this glossy, beautiful black except for one set that was like 30 feet up on the second story. And it stayed that way for, what, about a year, right, babe? About a year. And every day I pulled in the driveway, she was faithful to remind me (laughs) that I was not using my time wisely. I have a new deck I built this summer. Project completed. You know what I haven't done yet? My door trim, Mark. Mark came over to help me with my door trim probably six, seven months ago. I'm going to get to that. I'm really praying Jesus does come back so I don't have to get to that project. There's always something, right, that we're going to get to. You know, I'm going to get serious with Jesus when this happens. I'll start to share my faith when I can get to this point in my walk with God. I'm going to give up this sin when I get this relationship. Right? We always put off what we could be doing today because... All kinds of reasons, laziness, uh, we're just not prepared, we don't want to let go of something, whatever it might be. And scripture teaches us, God would have us say, hey, wake up, use your time wisely. 
And this is the reality of it. We have absolutely zero control, absolutely no control over the amount of time we have been allotted. Do you truly grasp that this morning, or is this just another day? Each and every human being in this room, breathing right now, has been given a specific amount of time down to the very minute, the very second of how long you will be allowed to breathe on this planet. And when you get to that last second, there is absolutely nothing you can do to add to that second. When God says, this is it, there is no more, that's it. And you have no way of knowing if today is the last day in your bank of time, or if tomorrow, or if next month, or if in six months from now. And the reality is, there are some of you most likely under the sound of my voice right now that will use up your allotted amount of time in 2020. And it has nothing to do necessarily with your age. So what are you doing with what God has given you. What am I doing with it? And this is important. If we don't understand and accept our limitations in this area of time, if you just kind of dismiss what I said to you about your allotted amount of time, if we don't understand it and accept that, we'll never appreciate the value of using our time in the best possible way. And the reason is because we won't give it a thought. We'll think, well, I'll just get to that later. And there's no promise of later. Are you encouraged in the holiday season yet? Death is coming. It matters. It matters because God didn't just frivolously, accidentally, in a lab, make you and say, well, let's see how long this one lasts. There's such intentionality in his creation of you. He designed you to be exactly the way you are. My daughter Jessie was no accident. God designed her to be born with spina bifida. God designed her to struggle in her physical health. Why? So he would get glory. She was not an accident. That's how God made her for his purpose. You have been designed for a specific purpose regardless of your situation in life. And in that design, he has given you a block of time to accomplish that purpose. And unfortunately, so many times, rather than living out of that purpose for the glory of God, we live like spoiled children, just flippantly spending that time on anything and everything as if we have an endless supply of it. I think it's kind of ironic coming out of the Christmas season. We're kind of, whether you like it or not, you're going to hang on to your tree for three months. That's between you and Jesus. I think he's against it. But... Christmas is over. Sorry, it is. (laughs) Reality check, okay? Uh, I can tell you, with all the children we had, and we had a lot, and have a lot, and there's a lot of gifts, there's a lot of gifts they got they don't care anything about anymore. Already bored with it. Don't even, don't even, I mean, we've got some, some toys not even out of the packages. I literally, yesterday I was watching one of our little boys just carrying around the box, flinging the box around. I'm like, <laughs> right? We, we put such a heavy emphasis on, you know, just getting stuff. And if we get this stuff, 
Oh, it's going to be awesome, and it's going to fulfill us. And so we chase things with our time. We chase possessions. We chase situations. We chase relationships. We, we chase all kinds of things to get us in and out of various seasons of life. And ultimately, the newness always wears off. And we're looking for more. So I want us to come back to our text in Ecclesiastes. And hopefully gain a little glimmer of hope at this God who is the master of time. Look what he says in verse 9 again. What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business, or the business, I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Think about that phrase. The business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in his time. The question we have to ask ourselves, I believe, is simply this. Am I busy accomplishing the business God has given me to be busy with? Let that question just kind of hit you for a moment there. Am I, are you, are we accomplishing the business that God has given me to be busy with? Every single one of you has been given something by God to be busy with. Do you even know what it is at this point in your life? Have you taken the time to seek what that business is? And if he has revealed that to you, are you busy about that business? See, what what Solomon is trying to get us to realize here is seasons are going to come and go. Circumstances in life are going to frequently change. Even if you feel like yours have always been negative and harsh, time moves, seasons move, things change, things happen. And in the midst of all of that, what are you doing with the purpose that God has made you for? What are we doing with what God has given us? And so what we do is, we get busy in life, right? We seek things that will answer that question. We seek things like education, careers, uh, relationships, promotions, uh, houses, uh, material things like clothes and uh, music and whatever it might be. We, we seek things that will fulfill that, that ache that we have inside of us. And yet ultimately we always get to this place where in the end we realize it doesn't satisfy you know, it's like uh, that, that song by Linkin Park that said, I, I tried so hard, and in the end, it doesn't even matter. That's what Solomon would ultimately say in this book. Solomon, who had everything this life could offer, said, in the end, it's just meaningless. It's all just vain pursuit. And that word vanity he uses literally means like a vapor. It's just something you can't quite grasp it. And we know that is true, right? We know even two or three weeks removed from this season that we're in right now, we're going to look back and be like, oh, wow, all that energy, all that time we put towards decorating and towards, you know, singing and towards celebration and all that. Wow, it's just gone. And now what's next? What do we move on to from there? And so we, we chase stuff. We chase stuff. If you want evidence of that, Come to the YMCA where I'm a member for the next two or three weeks. You will see people now chasing the next thing. And in three weeks, four weeks' time, they'll move on to their next pursuit. 
which was trying to find somebody for Valentine's, right? It, it'll move on from there and the gym will no longer, right? And so that's what we do. We, we pursue because we think, well, man, if I can just get fit this year, then that'll be it. If I can just change my routine, that, that man, 2020 is going to be a great year. I'm going to do blah, blah, blah. And, and so we, we try and fill our life and our space with this stuff. And in the end, it doesn't matter. It doesn't satisfy us. It's like chasing the wind. I want to take us outside of, of my notes to a passage that, that Paul teaches just so beautifully on this in Galatians 5. Listen to what Paul says in 5, 16, 17. This just sums it up so beautifully. He says this. In Galatians 5.16, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. It's this reality that In this world where we have been given an allotted amount of time, we're either doing two things with that. We're chasing the purpose and the glory of God, or we're chasing this empty ache that we're trying to satisfy and fill up with the things of this world. And Paul would tell us that those two things are in direct opposition. Jesus taught this as well. You can't have both. Both will not satisfy you. And in the one, let me tell you, the world is very good at rewarding its lovers. It is exceptional at rewarding its lovers. If you love the world and you chase the world, it will, do, it will give you the relationship. It will give you the new car. It will give you the fine house. It will give you the promotion at the job. If you chase this world hard enough, Satan will make sure you get your reward. But I'm here to tell you that reward will not last. Why? Because God has placed eternity into our heart. And we know that we were made for more. We know there's this, this ache, this longing that this doesn't satisfy. This relationship that I thought would fulfill me does not fulfill me. This career that I thought would give me purpose and a meaning is now I feel empty and it's not enough. And I need a new promotion and I need a, a new uh, task to accomplish. And this house that I thought was just going to make me feel like I have arrived and am successful and have finally achieved the dream is now just created more task and more work. And I wish I had something smaller right? No matter what it is, it does not satisfy. And so this world will sell you a bill of goods because it loves taking care of its own. But in the end, it will leave you hungry and desperate for more. And Christ says, don't go after the things of the world. Look what John tells us in 1 John 5. Do not love the world. This is so like, you don't have to be a theologian to get the heart of God. I love how simple this is. Don't love the world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. What's he talking about the world? He's not talking about the globe. He's not talking about mankind because God so loved the world. What he's talking about is the things of the world. The things that the world has united in against the very glory of God and says, this is what your life should be about. Chase these things. And John says, no, don't love the world. If you chase the world and you love what the world has to offer you, you can't possibly have the love of the Father in you because those two things conflict with one another. He says, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. It's that temporary satisfaction. It's a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. Just think of any commercial that comes to your mind on TV right now. And it fits this definition. 
right? The craving of things that appeal to the eye, the things that make us feel prideful in our possessions, the things that make us feel accomplished. It doesn't matter if it's a Big Mac or minivan. That's what they're trying to sell you. They're trying to sell you this concept. And Christ is trying to get us to wake up and realize, listen, you were made for more than what this world offers you. And your time is short. Don't get so focused on living in this planet and in this world because soon you're going to die and this world will be a thing of the past and you will be in the presence of the Almighty God and then your perspectives will have a significant serious shift. So he goes on in 17 and says, this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. It will not last, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. There's that eternity that God has put on our hearts. And I love how the the Solcon men's ministry I'm part of, I love how it phrases this, put down the fork that feeds your flesh. Constantly we're picking up the fork, chasing after the things of this world that feed our flesh. Feed me, fill me up, fill me up, fill me up. And there's never enough to fill you up or me up. We crave more. We crave more. Doesn't matter. Politics. You name it. Sports. Listen, I'm 45. I I like sports. I've rooted for a champion my whole life, the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, Right? I I enjoy sports. I can't tell you how many championships in the NFL, in college basketball, college football, baseball, uh, hockey, I can't tell you how many championships I've watched throughout my lifetime and how much energy I've expended just rooting and cheering and longing, emotionally invested. If we could just win this championship, life will be, oh, I'm 45. Not one championship has ever impacted my life. Not one. I mean... I'm just going to be real with you. There are people in this room that, would just, that will die for Clemson football long before they'll die for Christ. It's true. If we spent as much energy pushing the gospel as we did the Clemson Tigers, I'm just saying. If, if we pushed the gospel as much as we did the Heisman Trophy winner and how awesome LSU is, how different would our planet look? If we, if we push the gospel more than we did our status in social media, how different would the gospel look? If we push the gospel and talked about the glory of God more than we did the glory of ourself in this world that's consumed with self, how different would our communities and our homes and our relationships look? I know it ain't popular. I don't care. I didn't show up to, to root for Clemson this morning. I showed up to root for Jesus. And I'm telling you, this is coming from someone that enjoys football, that enjoys sports. I watch the game. I'm I'm just being real with you. I'm preaching at myself as much as I'm preaching at you. Like we get so focused on what's happening in America as if America is the only thing on this planet. We get so focused on South Carolina. We get so focused on the world. Whatever you're focused. This world will not last. It is brief. And soon, hopefully, prayerfully, longfully this year, Christ is going to step back in the clouds. Ain't no cheerleader going to set that up for you. There won't be no like, woo, my team's ready. Nothing is going to make that an incredible moment. It's just going to be what it is when we see the King of Kings show up. So this phrase in Ecclesiastes, and I'm almost done. 
I've only given, gone for 35 minutes. Ooh, I could go for another half hour, but I won't. This phrase, he has put eternity into man's heart. I said this earlier, I want to hit it again. There is, and, and I believe this without exception, inside of all of us, whether we tap into it or not, inside of all of us, there is an ache, there is a longing, there is a craving that says there has got to be more than what I experience. This can't be it. And at times in different seasons of our life, we ask that question maybe more often than at other times and seasons. But deep inside of each and every one of us, there's a longing for more. And if you're walking with God, if you're walking with Christ, if you're spending time with Him in the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, that ache should be pointed towards the throne that says, I just want to see Him more. I just, I need to experience more intimacy with Him. I've got to have more time with Christ in my life. That's what satisfies that longing. That ache is that I'm living towards that. And we're either living towards that or we're living towards the here and now and and trying to fill that up. But that eternity has been placed into our hearts and we don't even grasp it. We don't. And that's why Solomon tells us it's, it's beyond our comprehension of what all God's doing from beginning to end. Like we can't really grasp eternity. I don't know if you've ever tried that. Here's a simple exercise for you. Go to the Garden of Eden, Genesis 1, uh, when God started it all off, and put yourself in that moment and come to the understanding that although that's when God started the concept of time, God has always existed before that point. Can you grasp that? I can't. I have no clue what it means to always exist. I just can't wrap my mind around it. It blows my mind if I think too hard. I've got very few brain cells as it is. So I've got to guard those, but that ache is still there to say, ah, oh, this can't be it. There's got to be more. And so we have this thirst for not, and it really is all right. That's why, you know, we're willing to look for, for aliens in outer space and all this other stuff, quite honestly. It's like, there's got to be more out there, right? There's got to be worlds we haven't discovered. There's got to be new things, and there's got to be more. There's got to be more. It's a thirst for it. And my desire... My longing is for us to live with an urgency that there is more and it's on its way. That Christ in the first advent did come to earth. He did live a sinless, perfect life. He was in absolute perfect relationship with the Father. And willfully and willingly, he chose to walk to Calvary and lay his own back down on a wooden beam and suffer and die and be brutally butchered for you and for me to pay the ultimate price for our sins. And then three days later, victoriously rose from the grave and walked through earth ministering and teaching of the goodness and resurrection of Father God. And at the end of those 40 days, he took his small group of friends out to a mountainside and said, here we go. And up into the heavens, Jesus Christ ascended. What a moment. I've often, and I've told you guys this years back when I preached a similar message on the second coming of Christ, often longed to know what that moment must have been like. The emotional swing, I mean, your best friend, uh, the one who you believe to be the Son of God, has been killed. Devastation, loss of everything. He rises again. Everything goes back to not only being how it was, but it's better than it was because now he's risen from the dead. It can't get any better. Now, here we go. This is it. Kingdom of God. 
And then after just a short season, 40 days, Jesus leaves them again. Can you imagine if you're one of his close 11 friends at this point? I mean, Scripture says they just stood there and gazed up into heaven. I mean, I can't even fathom. My kids right now, if we see like a little shooting star or a helicopter last night, Jack and I were in, I think it was you and, you and I, Jack and the band, we saw a little helicopter above us and it was just like, we're like, oh wow, look at that. And we just watch it till it disappears. Can you imagine the Son of God ascending into heaven? How often and how long you would just keep looking up there like, is he, is he going to come back down? Like, I think I can still see a speck. It must have gone on for a long period of time because the text tells us, Acts 1, 6 through 11, that angel showed up. It's like, all right, you better send someone down because these guys aren't going to get busy doing what you told them to do. The angel shows up and he says to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Now, isn't that an obvious question? Like, I mean, in our humanity, I'll tell you why I'm looking up into heaven. My best friend, the Son of God, just went up there. All right, I'm, I'm longing for him. I miss him. I'm, I'm stunned. I don't know what to make of it all. Listen to this amazing promise. This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Maybe you didn't hear me. Jesus is going to come again. Second advent will happen. It doesn't matter if you believe that. It doesn't matter if you celebrate that. It doesn't matter if you think I'm crazy for preaching that to you. He will come again. Period. It's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. Everything he has predicted and said and taught in this book has come to pass. Everything. And if it hasn't, it's because it is not yet time. But everything in the past that has happened has happened exactly as he said it would, whether it was a virgin birth or riding on a donkey or being born in Bethlehem or the Magi. It doesn't matter. It happened the way he said. And so I believe with absolute confidence Jesus Christ is coming again. And I pray, I pray, I pray it is in this year. So the question then becomes, are you ready? Are we ready? If he shows up before you leave the back this morning, thinking you're going to get one more donut on your way out, are you going to be ready? Will you be ready to meet the king? What a promise. The same Jesus Not an alternative version. He's not going to send an angel. It's not going to be a prophet of old. The same Jesus, the Son of God, is coming back. So I'm not here to teach, like I said, eschatology and what's that going to be and when's the trumpet and are we going to actually hear it and how quick is the blink of an eye. I don't care about those details. I really don't. You know why I don't care about those details? Because when he shows up, I'm not going to be thinking, I didn't even hear the trumpet. I cannot believe, he said blink of an eye, and I, that was at least 1.5 seconds. <laughs> Those details aren't going to matter. The only thing that matters is when I stand before my king. And he's either going to say to me, well done, how good and faithful servant. Oh, woman, you were a woman of God. You fulfilled the purpose. You used the time I gave you wisely. You did what you were supposed to do with what I gave you. 
or the opposite is going to be true. Wow, we blew it. I can't believe in one sense that that's the choices you made. I gave you everything you needed to be successful, and yet you chose your own path. It's not going to be a quick high five and stroll on past and get on with eternity. Are you ready? It's going to happen. I have to ask myself, am I on mission? Am I living out the purpose that he gave me? Have I even started with embracing the gospel and and surrendering and obeying him as savior of my life? And if that is true, am I fully aware, as Solomon said, of what the business is that God has made me for? Am I busy about the business God has given me in this life? Can I tell you something? God did not make you to do social work. He did not make you to be a plumber. He did not make you to be a businessman. He did not make you to be a preacher. He did not make, I could go on and on and on. You know what God made you for? He made you to proclaim his glory to the world. Are you doing that? All these other things, they're just titles of what we occupy our time with while we're here. But what are we doing in that role? Jesus is all that matters. If I can leave you with nothing else, I want to leave you with this quote by Diedrich Bonhoeffer, an amazing theologian. Uh, Some of you are probably familiar with him. He lived during the World War II period. He was a captive of the Nazis and put in a concentration camp. He wrote one of the most powerful books uh, in theology called The Cost of Discipleship. I would encourage you to read it if you haven't read it. But this is someone that was executed. He was uh, hung at the end of a rope for his faith in Christ and for uh, essentially spying against the Nazi army. And he was executed in a concentration camp. But his faith in Christ was just overwhelming. Everything I've, I've read about his life and that he has written has just been heavy. I'm like, I struggle living that out as a free American in the South where I can pretty much get by with whatever I want to get by with. This is someone that was facing death. And he said this, Jesus is the only significance. Besides Jesus, nothing has any significance. He alone matters. Let me read that for you again. Jesus is the only significance. Besides Jesus, nothing has any significance. He is the only thing that matters. Can I tell you something? Jesus matters more than my wife. He matters more than my children. He matters more than the privilege that it is to speak to you guys from this platform. He matters more than my job, more than my mom and dad. He is the only thing that is of supreme worth and value in this world. So what are you doing with the time he has given you? What are you doing with that? What are you doing with that ache for eternity? We always close with the kind of the two big ideas, the two questions. What does he want me to know and what does he want me to do? Well, what does he want you to know? He's coming again. If you haven't thought about that lately, I want you to think about it this morning. If for nothing else, you'll walk out of here knowing that guy, all he kept saying was Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. In fact, turn to somebody next to you and say, Jesus is coming again. Oh, come on, like you mean it. God, I wouldn't want to come back and get half of you. Jesus is coming again. Do you believe it? Say it like you mean it. He is coming again. 
Listen, he doesn't want you to be ignorant to that. I didn't have to think hard about what does God want me to know. God wants you to know with absolute certainty he is coming again. There's so many passages in Matthew and Corinthians, so many places I could take you where Jesus basically says, look, I don't want you to be ignorant about this topic. I want you to be be foolish and be asleep and miss it. He wants you to know he's coming again. And so in light of that, what does he want me to do? He wants me to be ready and he wants me to live on purpose. So I want to leave you with those two questions. Are you ready? Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? And if you do, are you living on purpose for why he made you? Are you living out of that? Or are you just trying to survive your marriage? Are you trying to survive your parents' rules? Are you trying to survive your employer? Trying to survive another year, another routine, another season? Are you just trying to get by? Are you living on purpose? It is the only thing that matters in this area of time that we've been given. I'm going to ask if you would stand with me. We're going to close. Band is going to lead us in a song. And I want to pray for you and pray for me and pray for us that God would awaken these, these truths in our heart and that 2020 would be different because we are living on purpose. How great would it be if every day for the next 365 days we woke up and said, maybe today, Jesus, come back today. I want to be ready today. Father, love you so much. Even when I don't act like it, even when I choose self and my pride and the world and I crave the things that this life has to offer me, when I make those more of a priority over than you, I pray that you would search deep in my heart and show me and remind me and teach me of my my first love. When I drift, bring me back. When I run like the prodigal, help me to remember that you're standing there on the front porch waiting to see me waiting to celebrate with me, to love me. As that prodigal ran home to you, Father, even in this moment, I envision him seeing his dad on the front porch, all the emotions he must have felt. There's my dad. All the memories, the interactions, the highs and lows of his childhood, all of that must have come back to him. And I can't help but compare that to what it's going to be like when I see you on that that porch in the sky. When you show up, all the emotions that flood my mind even now. I look back at my own childhood and think of the times I have failed you, times I've made promises and not kept them, the times I have lied, the times I have sought self over the Savior. And yet your arms are still wide open full of love, grace, mercy. Holy Spirit, I plead, work in some heart this morning. Even if just one life is transformed today, it would be worth everything. Please keep the enemy at bay right now. Help us to surrender our hearts to you.
and full obedience to whatever it is you're prompting in us. And I pray you would come back even today. I love you. On behalf of your church, your people, we love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. I pray this in Jesus Christ, the King of kings, our Emmanuel in his name, in his name alone.